Tommy Wa here. In today's video, I'm going to be doing a video tutorial on how to make a website that works without internet using Angular and Service Workers. Let's get to it. All right, so before we get started, a bit about myself. My name is Tommy Wa and was that? You don't care about me? Okay, fine. Let's move on. But if you do care about me, you can check this stuff out. Link is in the description below. So Alibaba, Amazon, Instagram are very, very powerful websites, but they have one simple, very, very big flaw, in my opinion, kind of. Anyway, so for example, let's go to Amazon and see. So Amazon, you know, really cool site. They do a lot of really cool stuff. But there's just one problem, right? They do, they do a lot of different things, but there's just one problem. The second you turn off the internet, entire website, you can't do anything. We can play this game, but that's it. Attila, we're not quite as big as Amazon, but we work with or without internet. So let's go ahead and turn the Wi-Fi off. And if we refresh the page, we can see the page still loads and we can still actually click links, interact with the page and things still work fine. Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, what exactly are we going to be building today? We're building a site called Attila.ca. And essentially what it is, is that it's a site that helps students easily find and apply to scholarships. So the idea is that you enter in some information about yourself. So engineering. And then you can find scholarships that match that profile. But what's really cool is that we set it up in such a way that we're building the demo version of it. Some of the features of Attila.ca and all the source code that was used to make that website has been open source. So you can basically build it and run it on your local machine and basically hack stuff together and customize it however you like. And so the way this video is going to be set up is that first I'm going to do a bit of theory on how service workers work. Then I'm going to go do a bit of application, which is a live coding tutorial from start to finish, from setting up the initial repo setup to um, deployment, and then on how to build an offline first website with real coding samples. And then finally, I'm going to do a little rant on why I think this stuff is really cool. Because I just find, kind of find this stuff really fascinating. Um, so I'm going to be doing a bit of talking before I get to the actual coding part. So if you want to jump ahead right to the coding, I suggest you go to, I think, the four and the five minute mark, or three or four minute mark. But I also know people learn in a lot of different ways. So I've set this talk up and this video up in such a way that if you prefer a slideshow, you can do that. If you prefer a video, there's a video. We're watching it right now. If you prefer a blog, you can read the blog post. If you prefer reading, if you prefer audio or you want to multitask, there's a podcast. And I'm also source coding all the code used to build this app on GitHub. So all the links will be in the description below so you can check that out. All right, so before we get started, a bit about myself. My name is Tommy Wa and was that? You don't care about me? Okay, fine. Let's move on. But if you do care about me, you can check this stuff out. Link is in the description below. So first of all, what exactly is an offline first web app? What's a service worker? Why should you even care about this? And is there going to be free food? People always love free food. All right, so the way I like to set up this talk is by asking people, what does this diagram represent to you? So companies on the left, Amazon, Instagram, Alibaba. Companies on the right, Attila. And in the middle, we have Google Drive. What does that diagram represent? So Alibaba, Amazon, Instagram are very, very powerful websites, but they have one simple, very, very big flaw, in my opinion, kind of. Anyway, Alibaba has about 25 billion, Alibaba did $25 billion in sales in one day last year on Singles Day. 
AWS, Amazon's web services um, division, about 40% of cloud computing clients use Amazon. So you talked about people like Apple, Netflix, the CIA, are running the most important part of their IT and the software on AWS services. Think of it as your favorite company's favorite company. And Amazon, Facebook is a company that's truly at global scale. About 2.2 billion people use Facebook every month, and 700 million use Instagram. There's 7 billion people on Earth. So two in every seven people on Earth use Facebook at least once a month. But the problem is, without Wi-Fi, the entire website is unusable. So for example, let's go to Amazon, let's see. So Amazon, you know, really cool site, they do a lot of really cool stuff. But there's just one problem, right? They do, they do a lot of different things, but there's just one problem. The second you turn off the internet, entire website, you can't do anything. We can play this game, but that's it. Attila, we're not quite as big as Amazon, but we work with or without internet. So even when there's no internet, you, know, you can still do a couple stuff. I'm gonna edit this part out. It's not supposed to happen. Actually, I'll show you the demo site because we've actually done this. Meanwhile, with the site like Attila.ca, we can still use the website with or without internet. So let's go ahead and turn the Wi-Fi off. And if we refresh the page, we can see the page still loads. And we can still actually click links, interact with the page, and things still work fine. And you can see the same thing with Google Drive too, actually. So I'm not sure how many of you already knew this, but you can actually use Google Drive even when there's no internet. So for example, the slide that I'm using right now, the presentation I'm doing right now, I can still use it and I can still, I can still do like a lot of features and functionality and edit stuff even when I don't have internet. A little life, life hack for you guys who didn't know that. So what does the diagram present? Company on the left, millions of users, really, really powerful and cool software and websites, but they don't work without internet. On the right, websites that work without internet. And that's what the diagram represents. So now, what is a service worker? Think of a service worker as basically a proxy between your browser and the internet. So essentially, whenever you want to load a new website, um, the page in the browser basically says, okay, I need an index.html file, styles.css, maybe a main JavaScript file. And it basically makes a request to the network and says, can you please give me these different files that I need? A service worker says, you know what, you don't need to ask the network for all that kind of stuff. I have a cache, I'll just give it to you from my cache. I have these files in my cache, I'll just give it to you from my cache. And so in literal terms, it's a JavaScript file that basically gets shipped along with the rest of your app. And so the way it works, like I said, is that you make a request to the network, but then the, the service worker is almost like a man in the middle. So it gets in the middle and says, you know what, you don't need to ask the network for that file. I have it in my local cache, I'll give it to you. And if I don't have it in my cache, then I can go get it from the network. And what this means essentially is that without the internet, you can still use the app and you can still get functionality out of your, out of your web app. But even with the internet, you get, it's, re, it's way, way, way faster than making a network connection, right? Because instead of going all the way to the network and getting the file and getting it back and making that entire round trip, you just get it from the local cache and get the file delivered to you right away. But anyway, enough talking, let's get to the coding. So before, 
couple per prerequisites, what they call housekeeping. You're going to need Node.js, you're going to need NPM. You need the Angular CLI installed globally. I recommend a Chrome browser. I really like the Chrome DevTools, but Mozilla works well. Safari, you can use that too. Um, and a Google account, this is for the deployment phase. It's optional. If you want to deploy to like AWS S3, you can do that as well. But that's what I'm going to be using. All right, so first things first, we get, get the terminal set up. And we're going to go to the Attila web app. Let's turn the internet back on. Also, it's very important. I always recommend that people always try and keep your desktop well organized. Um, it makes things a lot easier when you're trying to find files when you have a good um, project repo like that. Okay, so you see we already have it set up from when I was doing this tutorial the first time. But I'm going to delete that. So we're going to start from absolute scratch. Like I was saying, um, I've deleted the project that we had initially. So we're going to start from absolute scratch. Don't keep it real. Don't keep it real, y'all. Get clone. Okay, we're in the right place. And so now we've downloaded the entire Taylor website onto our local machine. And then we're going to check out the tutorial branch. So the way I've set it up is that if you go in the GitHub repo, you can access the entire source code for the demo site. And the way I've set it up is that each tutorial is a branch. So if you just want to work on this specific branch, you just check out the branch that you're interested in. Okay, so checked out the branch. You know what, let's just check out the branch that we're on so we're not in a detached state. npm install. So npm install, basically we're going to install all the different JavaScript modules that this app will be using. We're going to do anything. Uh, yeah, you might get a really weird bug where it says that there's a no ng module error. And apparently, if you just add a .ts file, it should get fixed. It's very strange, but you can check out this GitHub issue for more information. Thank you, R for your fine service. And now we're going to serve ng serve. So basically, we're going to build the app and serve it up on our local web browser. And then so while that's going on, we're going to install a bit, couple more modules that we're going to need to run this project. The first thing we need to do is install um, the Angular Service Worker module. And so this is something that will make more sense later on. So just kind of copy and paste for now. But um, basically, suffice to say for now, all the JavaScript code that, most of the JavaScript code that will actually be handling the Service Worker registration updating is contained in this module. We're also going to set ng setups to Service Worker to true. So what this is doing is that it's going to tell us Angular CLI build that when we ship our code, include the service worker in the code that we're shipping. And again, all this stuff will make more sense as we go along. Yeah, like I said, don't just copy and paste. What does it actually mean? Also, this is a starting tag. So if you want to like just kind of think of it as a checkpoint. So if you want to just jump ahead to the parts that you're interested in, you can just click the tutorial 
you can just click the link and then you go to the commit at that release and they can check out everything that you're looking for. Okay. So like I said, that was the CLI build. So now we're gonna open up WebStorm so we can actually see our code that we've been working on. So like I said, now we've opened up WebStorm. You can see here, the service worker has been changed to true. So this is what tells the app that when we build it, include the service worker file, like I said. Okay, next we're gonna do the service worker configuration. And essentially what this is doing, this is gonna be us where we're gonna tell. So like, like, like I said earlier on, like the service worker is gonna have some files in the cache and some files it's not going to have in the cache. How does it know what files to have in its cache? This is where the service worker comes in. Basically we're gonna tell, the, the, we're gonna tell our code what files we want to have in our cache. So we're going to do touch. So what does this actually mean? So this is just basically telling the service worker that this is where our group source code is gonna be. Asset groups basically tell, this is like, there's different configuration settings, but this one basically means that these are the, these are the different files. So this is install mode. So basically install mode means how, when do you want to install these files? Pre-fetch means install it before we even ask for it. So before I go to my index.html, before I ask for the CSS files, before I ask for the JS files, in the main in the main app install these files and lazy means after i've already asked for it once then you prefetch it or sorry it means install it only when i ask for it but then up but once i've installed it update it before i even ask for it i don't know if i did a good job of explaining it but you can check this link in the description and um and they'll that'll, that'll, that'll give you some more information on how it works next we're going to go to our manifest.json file What is a manifest.json file? So you know how when you install an app on the App Store or the Google Play Store, it shows up on your home screen? With service workers, even though it's just a website or a web app, you can actually install it the same way. And actually the best part is without you even having to go to the App Store, a prompt will show up on your screen automatically if it passes certain criteria. That, and, then it'll, and then it'll ask you, do you want to add this app to your home screen? And if you click add, it'll show up on your home screen just like it does over here. By the way, I, I don't know if this is going slow enough or if it's going too fast, so leave a comment in the description below on like what you think about my pacing and if I'm talking too fast as well. Your feedback is how I get better, so please provide some feedbacks. Can we have a manifest.json file? We're going to take this. And so this is just basically saying that when I install this app to my home screen, these are the different settings that I wanted to have. So I probably don't, I don't have it now, but I'm going to update the links later on with some more information about how manifest.json works if you want to look into this a bit more. Now we're going to actually register the service worker. So what this essentially means is that right now your Angular app 
it's, ha it's able to register service workers, but it actually doesn't even know that service workers exist. So what we need to do basically, we need to tell the app that we have this thing called, we have modules called service workers, register it and make them available for us. So we're just gonna go in our app.module file, which is where the jobs, all the JavaScript modules exist. Add this piece of code here. One of the things I used to feel really bad about when I first started coding was the amount of copying and pasting I used to do. And then I realized copying and pasting is not only not bad. I actually encourage it. Um, I think one of the best, there's so many stuff, there's so much stuff to learn. And like, I think speed is very important. So copy and paste when you're first learning, but then go back and understand exactly what it is you copy and pasted. And then add your own little spice to it. You know, customize it a little bit. Don't just like directly copy and paste everything. So usually I just do alt enter, but so since you guys are watching and I want you guys to know exactly what I'm doing. So if we've added the code, so this basically tells service worker module and register it in this file. And this tells that only enable the service worker when we're in production mode. But right now we don't have this module, so we need to import it like so. Then we're going to go to our main.ts file. And then so what this means is if there's so service worker navigator basically means that if this if your browser has service worker support and your production mode, register the service worker. And if you want to know if your browser has service has service worker support, there's this really cool site called Is Service Worker Ready? And it shows you all the different functionality, all the different browsers that have service worker support. Long story short, all service worker all browsers support service worker or all major browsers support service workers. Though some browsers have more support than others. So for example, Chrome um, service worker is fully supported on Chrome. Right? Every single feature that's available for service workers is available on Chrome. But then you, other browsers typically get them later on. So just like that, the service worker is fully functional and ready to go. Now we're going to build a service worker. So this typically takes a while. This is another thing where I want to know what you guys think. I'm, I'm leaning towards just like cutting this part out because it's probably boring for you guys and then just fast forward or something and then to the part when it's finished building. I know some people, they like, you know, they like taking the scenic route. So I might do that too. I was, oh man, it's not gonna build. I made a stupid mistake. And I have to rebuild it. Yeah, see stuff like this, I'm always like, should I leave it? Or should I document it, you know, part of the learning process? You know, keeping it real. Or I might edit it out, but I probably won't. You can just fast forward this anyway. So. All right, so it's finished building now. You can check over here. These are all the different chunks and the bundles that I finished building. So what I'm gonna do, actually, I'm probably going to switch over to using the terminal in WebStorm. That way I'm switching over between um, windows less frequently. So anyway, we can look in our disk file to now see what our service worker is created. And the first thing we can look at is our ngsw.json file. So like I said earlier on, this is the file that contains a lot of the configuration for how we want our service worker to config, what files we want our service worker to config. And so basically what it did was that it took the, if you remember here, 
we say, okay, any.js file, any.css file, the index.html file, and all our assets file. And so then what this does, it basically expands it out, okay, and says, okay, these are the exact files that we want to save. So these are the exact DS files we want. These are the exact HTML files we want. These are all the assets we exact. These are exactly all the assets we want. And then these are where we're, and then these are how we want to cache it. And then there's also a hash table, which is basically matching up each file with the hash, so we know how to access it. And this we can basically keep track of when a new version has been released. The other part I wanted to show you guys is really cool is the ngsw-worker.js file. This is literally the service worker. This is where all the magic happens, so to speak. And so this essentially contains the code uh, that we'll be using to build our service worker. And remember, if you remember earlier on when I said install um, ng set angular CLI service worker equal to true, something like that. This is the part, this is basically the part that said, when we build it, so that, that basically, let me try this again. That piece of code, that where we, okay, you know what, I'll do it this way. When we said, when we configured our service worker equal to true, that basically told us, Angular CLI that when you build this project, include this file. There we go. I know I took explain that in a really roundabout way. If you think it'd be better if I just cut out that whole part where I was just trying to like put together my words, let me know. If you like it, because I don't know some people like that stuff, let me know as well. I'll leave it in. So I can explain what that was. Yeah, another thing I would recommend is that the code in here I've, I've looked through <laughs> I've looked through before. It's pretty hard, like in my opinion, it's pretty complex, it's pretty complicated, but I think if you take the time to look through it, you can probably understand what's going on, and I think it'd be a really good learning exercise. So you can check that out. Now we're going to actually test our service worker. So in order for us to know if our service worker actually works, we need to basically simulate it in a server environment, which is what we're going to do now. So I want you to install um, HTTP server. Another thing I was going to add to was that if you look at the versions here, these versions are actually very important. You might think they wouldn't be important, but they are actually very important because due to the current state of modern web development, sometimes small changes between versions can cause really weird, hard to debug errors in your code. So for example, if one day you install that's, you know, 0.11, come back the next day and you update to 0.12, you might find out that the app is no longer working. And then finding out exactly what changed and what went wrong can be a really painful process. So always pay attention to the version numbers. Okay, now we're going to actually create the server. So now if you go into this app, look at the network tab. So these are basically it's now installed the app there. So what? So if you look at this now, okay, this is actually from a previous version I did. Let me try that again. So you see, these are all the different files that we needed. And you can see, like, this is the, and then what's happening right now is the cache bus thing. So all these, basically just look at this network tab to basically, this will give you a better idea of how the service worker is actually working behind the scenes and all the different network requests. Now, this is what, now this is where the, this is where the beauty of service workers come in. If I turn the Wi-Fi off and I refresh the page, 
You see, everything still works perfectly fine. Now, what's interesting is that a lot of the other, like, you know, the Facebook plugins that we're using, the YouTube plugins that we're using, those stuff won't work. But the core app itself still works, which is why service workers are really cool. So, like I said earlier on, um, in the theory portion of this thing, and if you haven't watched, you can skip to like some minute mark. I'll put the link. I'll put the link um, to where that explains the theory of how service workers work. And I mentioned earlier on about cash. Caching is arguably the most important part of service workers, because that's basically where the files are saved. So in your network tab, um, you should be going to application. Service workers. That's it's cache, so it's cache storage. So cache storage basically is where your service worker are caching on the different files. And then so this essentially is the database of where your files are being saved. So when you make a request for a page, and it and then your service worker is like, you know what, don't go to the internet, I got you, I'll get it from my cache. This is the cache that it's referring to. Basically, you look through that and play around and see all the different stuff that's happening there. I'll put some link. I'm trying to keep this video like almost like a little bit high level, a little bit detailed. So I'll put links in. So if you're like really interested in this specific topic, you can dive in more. And if you're not that interested, you can just keep keep it moving. Saving external data. Now you'll notice that okay, cool. The service worker is working, kind of, but. None of my links are working. I, I can't really do anything, you know, like, okay, cool, the landing page works, but nothing else works. And the problem with that is if you, again, if you look at the network tab, you see that all these external requests we're making is failing out. And like I said earlier on, we're not, we're still not connected to the internet. So things that require, that really require the network, we still don't want to have access to that. But there is a way we can cache all those external requests as well. So we're going to talk about next. Pop quiz time. If we wanted to tell our service worker to start caching a new type of file or new type of resource, where do you think we should put this code? A, manifest.json, B, ngswconfig.json, or C, app.module.ts. Where do you think it should go? We're going to put it in the ngswconfig.json file. Like I said earlier on, this is the file where we're going to be configuring how we want our, what kind of files we want our resource to cache and save for us, which is why we should put it in here. So we're... And right after the dot, so we're going to go So NGSW config. So by the way, one more thing I should probably add is that I'm not doing it now because I've done this tutorial like a couple times now. I always recommend I've I've made it a couple times. Always commit your code frequently. So like right now I'm just doing it to, I'm just doing like whatever. So it's not it's like I'm kind of like I shouldn't be doing this, but basically when you code, try to commit frequently. Is what I'm trying to say in a very confusing way. But you know what I mean. Okay, so what does this mean? So this means that in addition to caching the files and the assets that we're using locally, I also want us to we also want to cache and save these files as well. So you know, some images we need, an API in order for us to get some external data and all that kind of stuff. This one I'll explain a bit more later on, but this just basically what this means is that 
you not, you not only have the option to cache files that you have locally as part of your web app when you first ship it. So essentially this means that you're not limited to only saving files that are in the disk folder. You can also save files that are external, URL, external URLs as well. Also, we have the data groups as well. So asset groups is essentially files that are assets that will not be changing that frequently. Essentially, they're thinking of it as almost static data. They're typically not versioned. While data groups is things that change frequently, so for example, an API. You know, if you call an API today and you call an API tomorrow, you can call the same endpoint and get a different piece of data. And so that's essentially where the, cap the data groups is used for. Again, if you're interested in more information, I recommend you go to the links. I'm just going to skip over for that way people who aren't interested in it aren't slowing, slowed down. And so this basically tells us that we also want to, in addition to all the assets that we're saving, we also want to save these data data items. And we want to save items in these URLs, and we want to save three URLs at a time for a maximum of seven days. Now, this is actually really interesting, and we'll talk a little bit more about this later on. When you want to cache, there's two types of way to cache. You can either go for freshness first or performance first. So essentially what this means is that when you're online, do you want to get the copy that's local, which would be performance first and be really fast, or do you want to go to the network and get the most recent copy, which would be really fresh? Freshness versus performance. You see this thing, you see this trade-off come up very often actually in software engineering. And now we're gonna do some we're gonna do one more thing. So you'll notice that I added some API on my JSON. Because it's not because due to core's restrictions security reasons, we actually can't access the official Attila API from our web app, but we can simulate it on this thing called MyJSON, which is a really cool service actually. And so then basically we can put the data that we want at this endpoint and then test it out from there. Yeah. Like I said earlier on, due to course restrictions, we can't actually access the official Attila API, so we're going to basically simulate or mock the server's call with our own special URL. So you can go to, so if you follow along here, we're going to go to the service file, the scholarship service file. I'm going to replace the part where we make a call to the scholarship preview URL and replace it with our myjson URL instead. So like I said, um, this is the URL that we're going to be mocking instead of making the real API call, instead of making the full API call. And so we're going to, we need to tell our service worker config 
that this file exists. In the scholarship, the same thing. So we can prefetch it. So now what this basically means is that when we load this website for the first time, automatically go and install these apps for us. Or install these um, these data sources from these JSON documents for us. So now the, the challenge with doing it this way is that we're not actually going to be able to get live data. So because it's mocked, no matter what we no matter what changes we make to the endpoint or the data that we're sending, we'll always get the same response back. But for testing purposes, this is fine. So even if you click on the different things, we'll always get the same blog post back. But again, for testing, not a big issue. That's fine. And so now to test this out, we need to rebuild the project again. And now in order for us to see these changes updated on our new app, we will need to rebuild the project. This might take a while. Yeah. Okay, it's done building. I've closed the server. Now let's restart the server again. Now the thing to keep up our service workers is that because of caching, the way the caching works, it always serves you. The, it doesn't always serve you the most updated copy. Another thing I wanted to show you is that now that we've rebuilt the app with the, with the updated service worker configuration settings, you can go into dist here and see njsw.json and you see that the new files which we've added are now here as well. Same thing with the URL structure as well. So now our file, our URLs knows to pre-cache these files, these URLs. So back up. And so you'll see here as well, that while the file is already loaded, these files are loading in the background. So that's the thing about service workers is that it serves you the, when, when, it's, when it has a version of your app cast, it will, serve you that I'll write, it, will, it will serve you that file right away. And then in the background, it'll start preloading the next version of the most recent version to send, send you the next time you refresh the app. So like I said, because of the way the caching works, so because of the way the cat, because of the way the caching stuff works, even though we've rebuilt the project and we restarted the server, the service worker is actually selling us the cache version, which is actually the last version of the app that we built. We won't get the new version until we update, until we refresh the page. And we're actually gonna fix this in the next, in the next step. But for now, this is sort of the issue. This is one of the sort of sort of the drawbacks with service workers. Though it might be an advantage too in some ways. It's like you see the core issue I was talking about earlier on. This is the core issue that I was alluding to. So you'll see that now we refresh the page, but we actually didn't have to go make a call to the service worker because they already had that version cache from the last time. And see, so now the API calls that we're making are working. 
due to the fact that we've replaced it with the myjson file that I alluded to earlier on. And same thing with the blog post. If you click on the blog post, you can basically get the thing that you want. You can get a blog post as well. This is again a mock service, so it's actually not the real API call, but for testing purposes, it works. And now, to really test the beauty of service workers is that if you turn the Wi-Fi off, refresh the page, again, landing page works fine. The scholarship still works as well. So even though there's no internet, we're still able to mock our API calls, which is really cool. And same thing with the blog post too. So we can still access our blog post even though there's no internet. So I, kinda, I, I find this stuff really cool. So that's really cool. Of course, the issue though that we now need to deal with is the idea that our service worker is actually st sending us stale copies. How can we let the users know that a new version of the app is available? For Rich, we want to part three, notifying the users of new updates. So to illustrate why, noti why notifying users of new updates is very important, let's use an example. So for example, let's say we wanted to add a new team member to the Attila team page. All right, so right now, it's just us four. Okay, let's say we wanted to add my boy Kanye West to the team page. Hmm, image of Kanye West. Let's get creative with this. You know what? I missed the old Kanye. Ooh, I like this one. I feel like this is something Kanye West would say, CEO and head of Donda, CEO and head of life. So of course, if you guys are following along, you guys can add your own picture or a picture of someone else that you prefer. Like I said, add your own little spice to it, you know, get creative. But the point of this is to show that we're going to make a change to our website. And of course, this change is going to be shown, reflected immediately in the local version of the app. But we're going to rebuild this project, restart the server, restart everything. And even when the user refreshes the page, they're still not going to see the updated team page. I'll show you what I mean. Like we said, the local machine gets the update right away. Let's see what happens when we ship this in production, when we ship a new version of the app in production. Bear in mind, this is the current team page that we're using in production. So like I said, the um, project is finished building. We're going to restart the server. We're going to refresh the page. Like, like I said, we fully changed everything. We rebuilt the project, we restarted the server. Let's see if the changes are updated. And like I said, it has not been shown. This is one of the problems with service workers. It's serving us the last version of the app. 
only in the background is it loading. So wouldn't it be cooler if we were able to, you know, basically tell the user that, hey, look, a new version is available. Refresh your app to get the newest version, right? Because right now, the only way we can get the new version is if we refresh the app again. And that, and of course, this is not an ideal scenario. So we're going to be doing something called service worker updating and snack bars to notify the users that the new version of the app is available. First thing we do, we're going to install the NPM material module, which is going to handle the UI of, which can handle the UI of how we're going to notify the users that a new version is available. So essentially, all we have to do is just one little piece of code. <clears throat> so in our app.component.ts file, I'm going to take this piece of code right here. And then, so we need to add the service worker update. Snap. Evidently, we already have the snap bar, so we just need the service worker update. So what? So what does this code mean? So this means that if we're in production mode and the service worker update has been enabled, we want to subscribe to listen to basically for the new update and let the user know that a new update is available and that, with, and that if they click load new version, we give them the option to load the new version and if they click and if they load the new version, we reload the entire page. How is this possible? So like I said earlier on when we installed the service worker module, this is one of those this service worker update is one of the objects that is available one of the classes that's available to us because we updated them because of we installed the service worker module. And so basically essentially it's just a piece of code that listens for updates to the service worker. And the reason why we're able to use this is because we installed the service worker module. So you can see that all this stuff starts to tie in and link together. And the snack bar we're able to use because we installed the snack bar we installed the Angular material module. So now when a new version of the app is available a pop-up is going to, well not a pop-up, a snack bar is going to show up that says, new version available, would you like to load it? And then the user can get the new version just like that. So we're going to make another change to our team page in order to reflect how this works. Let's do the Kanye West bear. So again, we're going to rebuild the project. So now what, 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 what we're expecting to happen is that on the team page, the user is going to refresh the app, but they're not going to get the most recent version. What the, what's going to happen is that they're going to get a notification that says, new version is available. Click here to load that new version. Let's go ahead and rebuild the project. So the app is now finished building. But I do need to clarify something. So the last time I saw, so earlier on I said, um, 
if they refresh the page, they're going to get a snack bar that tells them that new version of the app available, click to refresh, click to load new version. But that's actually not true because currently right now, the version of the app that's currently running is the version without the service worker update, update module. The version that we're going to load is the one with the service worker update module. So once that, so when we refresh the page, it's that the file with the code with the service worker update module will just be getting loaded for the first time. And so that means there's no, no update coming after it. So in order for us to see the effect of that, we need to add another update module in order for that to take effect. It's a bit confusing, but that's sort of how service workers work. So like I said, we actually just loaded the version with the service worker update, so we actually can't see the bear yet. We need to load it another time in order for it to take effect. So like I said, I've started the server, now I'm going to refresh the page. And so like you like you to see, even though we've added the service worker update module, that's only going to get loaded now in the background. And we need to refresh the page again to get the service worker update module. And then we need to update, we need to update our app again in order for us to see the effects of the service worker update module. It's a little bit confusing, but that's how service workers work. So it's one of those things you need to just basically get familiar with and keep that in mind when building products for your users. Okay, so now we have the Kanye West Bear. So now in order for us to test if the service worker update module is actually working, we're gonna need to, meet, need to make another update. So let's go do that. So this time we're gonna add maybe We'll add the bearer. We'll just make that small change. That's the thing too about service work is that even though you have to make a small change, the entire, well, not the entire thing, but anyway, yeah, we're gonna make that small change. All right, the video has finished. All right, the project has finished building. We're going to restart the server. And we're going to refresh the page. And so you can see we're getting an old version, but in the background, if you watch here, the new version is getting updated. So if you wait for a bit, so now it's loaded. Now you see the snack bar here telling us to load the new version. So if we click on that, the user basically gets a new update, and we can see now the Kanye West Bear has been added. So this is one of those ways to make sure that users are always, like the users of your app are always using the most recent copy. And I like it too because it's almost done in a very unobtrusive way. So you don't have to like stop using the app and go, you know, go to the app store and get a new install. You can't use it for like a couple minutes. It's just a basic refresh, and just like that, they get an updated app. So that is pretty much the core of the product of the de deployment process. But the only issue now is our app really only exists on our machine, right? Like you can't send someone the localhost 8080 URL and for them to visit your app. And also again, this is pretty much just running on your own local app the whole time, right? In order for us to truly test the power of service workers, we need to use a real live URL, send it to people, and then you know use it without the internet, with or without Wi-Fi, in order for us to see the true power of service workers. So that's what we're going to go do now. We're gonna deploy it.
And so I'm going to deploy this to Firebase hosting. If you check the source code, you see I actually deployed the real app to AWS S3. They're both really good options. The, thing, the reason why I chose Firebase hosting for this tutorial is that if you want something that's just dead simple, very easy, just a few commands, get it running in a getting get a live URL for your web app, I find Firebase to probably be the easiest and simplest way to do that. So that's what we're going to use. Again, you're going to need a Google account. You need to go to Firebase account. You need to make a Firebase project. So we're going to go do that now. So while that's creating, then we're also going to install Firebase tools globally. I already have that installed, so I don't need to do that. And then we also need to log into Firebase. And you can follow the tutorial as well in the link here. So the new project is ready. So I'm already logged in, but if you weren't logged in, you would just follow the process for that. It's really simple. Okay, now we need to initialize our Firebase repo. So basically, we need to tell the Angular CLI, which we installed here, if you're following along, that this is a Firebase repo. So now, follow along to the instructions here. It's going to ask you, what feature do you want? We want hosting. And use spacebar to select. I messed this up a couple of times. You use spacebar to select, and then use enter to continue to the next step. You want to do PWA tutorial 2, enter. So what are you going to use as a public directory? It, the default option is public, but because we're building our project to dist, we want to actually use the dist directory. So dist. Configure as a single page web app. Yes. Overwrite index.html, no. And this is what I love about Firebase. Literally, I'm just going to type two words, and it's going to deploy the app just like that. Firebase deploy. Oh, that's so anticlimactic. Firebase deploy. Firebase deploy. And just like that, we've taken the app that existed on our local machine and uploaded the entire web app to a live URL that anyone in the world can access. You know, I've been coding for a long time now. Well, not a long time, but like a couple of years now. And stuff like this is what gets me really, really excited about technology. The fact that in a few commands, I can take an app that only existed on my local machine and anyone in the world can access it. Anyway, so now we have a fully functioning web app. I might, I might delete this one because I have a couple running now. I don't have too many. But if you do PW tutorial, you can access... Okay, so maybe not... Anyway, um, uh, so where was I? Yeah, so just like that, we've taken an app that existed only on our machine and uploaded it to a live URL that anyone anywhere in the world can access. So stuff like this is why I find technology, even to this day, so fascinating, so cool. So like I said, these are the different APIs that I was talking about. We can try them out. The different blog posts. And, like I said, because service workers, we turn Wi-Fi off. Sorry. 
even the great google.com you can't use it without internet but our site without internet it's still working and we can still use our different API calls so that concludes my presentation on how to build a website that works without internet using angular and service workers so you can pretty much stop watching at this point but I'm going to talk a little bit more about why I think this is very important for the future of service workers internet for products that you want to build and also I'm going to put a little very very important piece of advice at the end if you stick around as a reward for sticking around so the first thing I want people to think about is that this really changes the way you think about products right so the fact that a lot of times you know you sort of take for granted the fact that you need there's so much stuff on you need to like for example the New York, New York Times article Twitter Amazon shopping carts all these different experiences that you always thought you needed to have internet to use now imagine a world where when there's no Wi-Fi when you're on a plane when you're literally underwater you can use all these different services that's sort of what service worker makes possible the fact that you can browse an Amazon shopping cart even when you're on a plane or you can read your New York, New York Times articles while you're on a plane or while you're on the train to work and you're underground and there's no internet connection, there's no data, there's no service whatsoever. The other thing I like is the fact of what, what, what's kind of being called the next one billion. So if you're, watching this, if you're watching this video right now, you're probably in a very fairly privileged position in the fact that you have fast internet, you have bandwidth, you have Wi-Fi, you have all these different services. But we take for granted the fact that a lot of people don't actually have access to internet. And a lot of people who do have access to internet have very, very slow, poor connection internet. With service workers, you basically create a scenario where the next 1 billion, the next 1 billion people who currently don't have internet access right now, but we're trying to put on the internet, you, they can get a more richer and more useful web experience through the next 1 billion. And so, for example, even if you, like, if you have really poor internet connection, because everything is cached locally on your device, you get fast service on your product. Or if you go for maybe you're in a situation where you're going for days without internet, with service workers, all these files are cached locally, so you can still be using the app perfectly fine, without internet and it'll get updated when you get next get the internet. Mobile versus web. So another thing I like to think about is the fact that mobile versus web. A lot of people, you know, they want to start a killer app. And you know, killer app is a good idea, but your killer app need not actually be a native mobile app, right? With things like the service workers I talked about and you talk about things like um, push notifications, why do you actually need a native mobile app? You can get a lot of the same functionality of it with the web app. So I wrote an article on why startups should consider building web apps instead of mobile apps. Um, I'll put the link in here, but basically the gist of it was a couple of things. First of all, you really don't want to be in a situation where you have to deal with gatekeepers of Apple and Google Play Store. Second of all, you don't want to support two different code bases, right? You have iOS users, you have your Android users, iOS developers, Android users. It's just a lot of headache for no reason. And finally, people don't want to download another app. You know, there's a lot of statistics around this, but the general gist of it is that a lot of companies nowadays actually, um, people, most people only use like the same three or four or five apps. Right? You have your Facebooks, your Googles, you know, um, Instagram, WhatsApp. Apart from that, people don't really download want to download a new app. With a web app, them downloading your app is literally, literally them just going through URL and getting the add to home screen prompt. And just like that, they've downloaded your app. So you know, reducing the amount of friction between users finding out about your company is very, very important thing that web apps allow. So what this means for you, if you want to start a company, if you ever want to build a web product, consider building a mobile web app. And this is a very important piece of advice, and I want you to listen closely to this. Because something I realized really recently that's sort of like, I think a really interesting concept. 
So when there's internet, there's a lot of things that are competing for my attention. It almost feels like there's an infinite amount of things I can do on the internet when I have fast Wi-Fi connection, when I have internet connection. However, if I'm on the train to work, I'm on a subway and there's no service, or if I'm on a plane, I feel like there's really not much for me to do with my smartphone, right? I can maybe, you know, look at videos or podcasts that I've saved and listened and watch those. I can maybe look through my old photos on my phone, or I read a book. However, if you're a company where you can create, if you can create a situation whereby, even when there's no internet, you can create a really cool web service, um, web experience for your users, you're able to get your users' attention at one of those rare few moments when there's not other things that are competing for your attention. And that can actually put you at a very strong advantage. And a lot of people don't think about that. So that's a little life hack for you guys. Life hack for you guys. Um, if you want to follow along, here are some more resources for you guys to check out. And thank you for watching the video. Have a great day. If you